This is a Diet of Brussels. We're going to be thinking about how this referendum campaign in the UK compares with other referenda that have happened elsewhere uh, across the European Union um, and some of the parallels that we might draw. And this topic's been suggested uh, through our Twitter feed uh, from Vivian Gravy, uh, who's uh, asked this question. I'm more than happy to answer it and any others that you might have. One of the things that I think is an interesting contrast between this referendum and other referendums that we've had, of which there have been quite a few now, is that we have a fundamentally different situation. Countries usually have referenda about uh, accepting new developments, new steps, before they happen. So in the case of uh, Ireland or in the case of Denmark, who have been the two countries who have had easily the most uh, votes uh, on European affairs, they have that for constitutional reasons, uh, which requires public approval of uh, treaties which have impacts on the constitutional situation. Now, that matters for a very obvious reason. It means the status quo position in those countries and in those cases is not to say yes, is not to accept the changes that come. In the case of the UK, we have the opposite situation. The status quo is that the UK is a member of the EU. And so the change option is to leave, is to say no. Now that matters. It matters for a number of reasons. One is that voters tend to have relatively unformed uh, opinions uh, about membership, that what opinions they do have are relatively shallow. They can be moved around uh, by public uh, cues from uh, politicians, from media, from other cultural commentators. Uh, Russell Brand, uh, doubtless, at some point will pop his head up. But Instinctively, there is a tendency in referenda to vote in favour of the status quo. How are things now? And unless things now are obviously terrible or highly problematic, or the new status quo that might come from a change is clearly and obviously better, then people tend to stick with how things are at the moment. If it's working, why fix it? Now, that clearly hands a clear advantage to the yes uh, in campaign uh, in the British case. But I think there are also some important lessons that we might learn. One of the reasons why referenda on the EU and on matters European have been so problematic, and uh, we've lost almost as many uh, referenda as we have won uh, in this particular category, is that governments have tended to be rather poor at explaining European integration. They assume that, partly because of the status quo, because it's part of the furniture, that citizens will acquiesce. They'll follow the cues of the government and they don't really need to explain the benefits because they're apparently so self-evident that uh, the job has already been done. Now, that's a problem for two reasons. One is a problem because uh, clearly it's not true. Levels of knowledge remain relatively low across uh, the EU, across citizens. And secondly, it creates a situation where voters will tend to have a problem with uh, the way they've been treated. 
And a good example of this were the votes that we had in 2005 on the Constitutional Treaty in the Netherlands and in France, where uh, voters uh, in two pro-EU countries, as we might normally think of them, rejected that treaty. And a key factor in that was a feeling that they were being uh, treated with disdain by their uh, governments. And that's something that's going to come back as an issue, doubtless, in the rest of the uh, cycle that we have now here in the UK. Is the government going to accept that the case hasn't been made, that it will need to be made again and again, and that they need to actually actively engage in that uh, discussion rather than merely making an assumption about how people will act? Whether that happens is something that remains to be seen.